Barry, turn to Luke 15 with me. Isn't that funny? The rest of you can probably leave. It might just be for uh, Barry over here, but if you want to hang around, feel free. Mark Twain, the great American writer, storyteller, was once asked a question. He was asked the question, who is the greatest storyteller that has ever lived? And without hesitation, Mark Twain said, well, that's easy. It's Jesus Christ. And they asked him, well, what's the greatest story ever told? And he said, that's easy too. It's the story of the prodigal son. So we're going to have a bit of a look this morning at what Mark Twain considered to be the greatest story ever told by the greatest storyteller that ever lived. Isn't that significant? Isn't that great? We're going to talk about one of the greatest stories uh, ever written. Uh, We all know that that when Jesus told... Jesus used these things called parables to teach lessons. Uh, When he talked about sheep and goats... He wasn't literally saying that when we die, that God is going to get sheep and goats in front of him and he's going to put the goats over here on his left uh, and the sheep over here on his right. He was using an analogy of people. He was trying to paint a picture. He said, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So the fa- and, and the parables of lost coins and parables of lost this and lost that. Jesus used stories of everyday things that people could relate to to impart spiritual principles. And that's what this story is. It's a story about two sons and a father. In the original Greek language, they didn't have chapters and verses and little titles to sort of break it up. We've done that. That's a modern man thing. When I say to you the story of the prodigal son, it's easy for you because of the way our Bibles are structured to go, okay, I know that story. I know where it starts, where it ends, the beginning of the story, the end of the story. I can break that down and, and, and it's like we break it down into chunks. That's this chunk and then this chunk and this chunk. But the Bible actually flows quite significantly and, and stories blend in and points are being made over a period of time. But the thing I want to just mention up the front here is that the wording of this story is actually very, very bad. The story is not about the son. The story is about the father. Jesus begins by saying this. He said a certain man had two sons. The focus is the certain man. So everything Jesus is talking about now, he's trying to get the focus on the man. The man just happened to have two sons. And I'm going to illustrate something by giving you a little bit of the journey of these two sons, but I want you to stay focused on the main point. And the main point is the man. The main point is the father. Jesus is giving us here a picture of a loving father. He's showing us a bit of a window into how God sees us. He's giving us a bit of a picture of the incredible grace and the mercy of God towards all types of people. The really good ones and the maybe not so good ones. As we go through this story, we'll see that the two Sons are actually almost identical. Sometimes when we think of the story, we think of two different people. But if we have a good look at the story, we'll see that both of these kids suffered from the exact same problem. Both of these sons had the same mentality. Both of these sons had the same outlook and the same understanding of God as a father. I've mentioned this before um, here. When I say the word father, you have a picture. We all have a picture when we hear the word father. And that picture will always relate to um, either our personal experience 
with a father, or maybe it's blended in with an experience of a significant person in our life and, and the, seeing the impact that their father had on them and the stories they've shared. That's why a lot of people will say to you they hate church. Well, have you ever been to church? No. Well, why do you hate? Well, I've got a friend. Da, 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 da. I hate God. Well, why do you hate God? Have you ever read a Bible? Have you ever? No. But my mother, when I was growing up, she used to... Da, 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 and, and we'll quite often get our pictures from so either, either our own personal experience or a significant person that we know their experience. And that influences the way we see uh, life and the way we see the world. I remember years ago when um, me and Jackie were living in India and we came back for a, a, a bit of a furlough and Jackie had never been to an international sporting event. So I said to her, would you like to go to watch Australia versus Great Britain in the rugby league? I'm, I'm a blessed man. I'm one of these men who, if I'm not home Friday night, my wife will still watch the football. Okay? Uh, I don't much to the disgust of my daughter, by the way. But Dad's not home. I don't care. I still like the football. So Mummy still watches the football, doesn't she, on a Friday night, even when Daddy's not there. I think uh, Chloe sort of thinks that she can have the Friday night. No, it's not going to happen because mummy loves her football too. So I'm very blessed. So I said to Jackie, look, you've never been to an international sporting event. Australia is playing Great Britain here in, in Brisbane at the time. Let's go. She said, yep. So I bought the tickets. We rocked up. When we got to our seats, I had this guy here and he was, he was um, absolutely off his chops. He was drunk as drunk could be. Uh, and he had another guy with him. It turned out to be his brother. So I said to Jackie, well, you sit there and I'll sit next to this dude here and Anyway, I think his brother realised it was probably a bit awkward, so his brother switched sides with him, and so I'm sitting next to the brother. As the game went on, amazing game. Australia absolutely, absolutely smashed them. Um, and the Great Britain fans, by the way, which I thought was really, really interesting. You can imagine yourself being a young kid growing up in another country, and you want to represent your country in your sport. And so you, you, know, you, you, you sacrifice all these years of life, you train hard, and, and you make it to the top, and you're elite, and you pick for the squad, and you're going on a tour to Australia, and you've got a thousand fans that get on a plane, and they follow you to that country, and you get out on the field, you're at Lang Park, one of the most prestigious grounds to play rugby league in the country, you're out there giving your all, the Australians are walloping you, and you look up to your fans in the crowd, and your fans are going, we're crap, and we know we are, we're crap, and we know we are, and that's what all the Great Britain fans were singing to their rugby league team, I thought, geez, how deflating would that be? All your life, you've wanted to get to this moment, represent your country overseas on the big stage, and your own fans have paid $5,000 to travel over there to tell you that you're hopeless. Wow. Anyway, that's not part of my story, but I still think it was quite interesting. <laughs> so I'm sitting next to this guy, and we start having a chat, and he asks me, so what do you do? And so I said, well, actually, we, we, um, we've just got a bit of a break from overseas. So we work with an a, uh, organisation over there with the, you know, caring for the poor and different things. I'm very hesitant to say to people the word Christian because they've got a picture. I want to know what, you, what that means to you before I'll confess that I'm one. All right? Or anything like that. I don't want to talk to you about Jesus till I know what your picture of Jesus is first. Otherwise, we could be missing each other. I don't want to talk to you about God till I get an understanding of what you think God is. Otherwise, we could be totally missing each other. So I'm hesitant what I say uh, because I, I want to find out from you first. So we had a bit of a chat and he asked me a couple of questions. I said, I work for this organisation over there. Anyway, as the story went on, it turns out, yes, it's a Christian organisation. I believe in Jesus, the Bible, the book of maps, the whole thing. It's all there and I will support it. This guy looks at me and he goes, let me tell you something. When I was a young kid, I was brought up, me and my brother, we were brought up in a, in a, a, nun, a convent. And the nuns raised us because we didn't have parents. And at night time when I would wet my bed, the nuns would come in in the morning with a big wooden stick and the nuns would beat me. 
with this stick for wetting my bed. What he was saying to me was, God beats little kids with a stick when they wet their bed. That's who God is. That's this loving, gracious father that we talk about. What he does is when you make a mistake, when a little child wets their bed, God walks in with a stick and he beats them with a stick. That was his picture of God. That's his picture of a father. And so our image of God and our image of a father has been shaped by our experiences, has been shaped by the encounters that not only we've had, but it can be the encounters of significant people in our world. So all I could do was I looked him in the eye and he, he, said, he said this to me. He said I got beat by a stick and then he stopped and he stared at me waiting. I don't know what he's waiting for, some sort of comeback, some defence. Um, all I could say to him, I looked him in the eye and I said, I just want to tell you this, while those nuns were beating you with a stick, I want to tell you this, God was sitting beside you on the bed crying because that's not what a good father does. That's not who God is. And he just stared blankly back at me, went back to the football, and that was the end of our conversation. I don't know what come of it, uh, but I do pray, Holy Spirit, you've done something with that conversation to change this guy's perspective. But we all have an image of the Father. We all have an image of what it means when we talk about God being a Father. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. That's the focal point in this story. In Luke chapter 15, verse 11, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Now watch this. So he divided to them his livelihood. Both of the sons were sitting in on that meeting. They were both there. They both got an inheritance distributed to them on that day. Only that one of them had the guts to breach the subject with their old man and bring it up. The other one was there too. It says that he divided it to them. They both got a portion of their inheritance. And not many days after, the youngest son gathered all together, so he hung around for a bit. He didn't get his money, walk straight out the door and say, see, he hung around for a bit. Maybe he was thinking, well, what will I do with my inheritance? Maybe the two of them sat down at night around the fire and said, we both got all this money, man. What do we do now? What do you think we should, what? We got what we wanted. That was easy. All we had to do was ask and he gave it to us. That was simple. What do we do with this now? And a few days' time, all we know is that one of them didn't go, one of them stayed, but the other one decided, well, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do what I want with my inheritance. I'm going to go and live my own life, make my own choices, and uh, think about the consequences of that later if I have to. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Because of what I did, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Must have a pretty high opinion of himself, don't you reckon? That he thinks his actions can change the heart of a father. He thinks that his actions can determine how God himself is going to see him. Must pretty high opinion of himself. Must think he's pretty special. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion around and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. No longer worthy. No longer worthy. So I was at one point worthy. I was worthy at one point. When I lived with you, maybe when I was doing what you wanted, maybe I was worthy then. But now, all of a sudden, I'm now no longer worthy. And the only thing that's changed is my actions, my activities. My I've done something that's made me now no longer worthy. I was worthy before. Why was I worthy before? Why am I now not worthy? What's changed? What's happened? What has he done differently? To go from I'm now no longer worthy. His father saw him and had compassion on him. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. His son said, Father, I've sinned. Father said to his servants in verse 22, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive, is lost. And he's found. Verse 25, now the oldest son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked, what are these things? He said to him, your brother has come because, uh, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father's killed a fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this, your son, who's devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf, said to him, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's found. Both these boys represent a large chunk of humanity. And unfortunately, they both represent a large chunk of the church as well. We feel like we are more acceptable to God when we are doing certain things, when we are living life a certain way than the favour of God, the the grace, the mercy of God. Now, I'm not talking about consequence. How many of you know that if if I tell my son not to touch the barbecue hot plate and he doesn't, there will be a consequence to that. The consequence will be he keeps his finger markings and fingerprints. Now, if he disobeys me and slaps his hand on that, the consequences are he may lose his fingerprints, he may lose the first four or five layers of skin on his hand, he may end up in hospital, he may not be able to write for a few months. There are consequences to our actions, what we do and what we don't do. So there are consequences to the way we live. What I'm talking about here is the heart of a father. This is what Jesus is saying. Keep in the centre of your mind as you read this story a certain man. A certain man. It's all about the heart of a father. We've got two sons. One son thinks, because I went out and I did all these wrong things and wasted all this money, I am now no longer worthy to be my father's son. I've done bad things, therefore, how could the father love me? I'm no longer worthy because of my actions. Then you've got his brother. His brother thinks exactly the same as him. His brother says, but father, I've never done anything wrong. I've done everything right. I think he might be in a bit of self-denial as well. I'm sure there'd be a couple little commandments there he's transgressed of his old man's. Maybe his, 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 his dad's not aware of, but they're both a little proud, aren't they? One of them, oh, have done nothing wrong, therefore I'm worthy. Why aren't you giving to me? The other one, oh, I've done all these things bad, I'm no longer... They've both got the same problem. 
They're both looking at their relationship with their father as a performance-based relationship. It's all about what I do. This is what Jesus says at the start of the story. Don't focus on the son. The son, focus on the father. Look at the father's response. Look at the father's heart towards his children. That's what this story is about. It's about the heart of a father. It's about the heart of God for his children. Those who right now are out there doing the wrong thing. Those who right now are out there squandering their possession, squandering the life that God has given to them. Some of them have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, walked away. But there are many, many out there who have not tasted the Lord is good yet, but they're out there squandering their possession, their life, their breath, the very gift that God gave them anyway. Part of the commission of the church is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go and let these people know how important and how special they are to the Father. Go into all the world and let them know that their performance is irrelevant. The Father loves them. The Father loves them. And then there are those of us who are sitting in church. Well, I've always gone to church my whole life. I pray every day. I read my Bible every day. Oh, no, 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 no. I should be getting more from God. Why am I? They're both sitting in the meeting together at the beginning. Father, we want our inheritance. One might sit there quiet, but they both had the same intention. As the story goes on, one's upset, one feels like he's unworthy because he's done the wrong thing, one feels like he, 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 he should be worthy and so he should be getting because he's done the right thing. And it's just a fantastic picture of the world and humanity at large and a great picture of a lot of us sitting in church who still feel like God is a performance-based God. We still feel like God loves us some days and he doesn't love us other days. You know what? That kind of mentality never affects the heart of the Father towards us, but it will affect you and it will affect your relationship with God. It will affect how you develop your relationship with God. It will affect your ability to listen to God. It will affect your ability to to flow with God. It will affect your ability in the way that you see yourself, which inadvertently will affect the way that you see the rest of the world out there too. Jesus said, um, you love your neighbour as yourself. If you don't love yourself, how are you going to love your neighbour? You'll love your neighbour through the same set of lenses that you love yourself. If you think God only loves you because of what you do, you're going to inadvertently think that way about the rest of the world. You're going to look at people out there and go, oh, sinners, dirty, rotten people, doing the wrong thing. God doesn't love them. You know what? That's not true. God loves them. God loves the drunk who's sitting at the pub right now, downing his sorrows because he doesn't know what else to do with his life. He might even be down there cussing and carrying on about God kicking and fussing. But you know what? The love and the grace that's available to that man is exactly the same as the love and grace available to me right now this morning in church. It's the heart of a father. And we don't get it completely because we live in a finite world with a finite brain that understands love and a finite human level. One of the reasons that Jesus put this parable in there and he says, focus on the father. A man had two sons. Throughout the whole story, everything you look at, go back to the man. 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 Go back to the father because this is the centerpiece of it. We know a lot about the, the, the prodigal son. We know a lot about that because it takes up a large portion of it. And we can tell you, oh, he went out there and he did this and he was a, he was a, a, a person in church and then he went off and did his... And we know a lot about the other son. Oh, he was ungrateful. But the, the, the focus of this is don't lose sight of the heart of the father. Don't lose sight of the heart of God because that's what Jesus is trying to portray to us, that we would see and that we would understand the heart of God. 
You know, I was, uh, uh, I can remember the moment, a bit like, like you were saying, you had these waves, these moments. I remember the very moment when I first realised I was a child of God. I'd been saved for about two years. For the first two years of my life, I was going to heaven, but I didn't understand that, that God loved me, not because of what I did, but because of who I was. And I remember leaning on a car. I'd, I'd driven somewhere to Brisbane. I was driving back down to Balna, and um, I, was, I was standing outside of a car with the door open. I put my hand on the roof of the car to say goodbye to somebody, and something just burst inside my, my spirit. I don't, can't explain what it was, but all of a sudden I leant on the car, and I suddenly realised, oh, my God, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. God loves me devoid of the fact that I have all kinds of junk and rubbish and stuff going on in my life, all kinds of things that I'm not proud of, all kinds of things that I'm ashamed of. And God is aware of all them. And he's also aware of the other things that I'm not ashamed of because I I accept certain things as being normal, even though probably from God's perspective, they're still not right. God sees all that. And all of a sudden the penny dropped and I realised, you know, I am loved by God regardless of my performance, completely devoid of my performance. You know, when I was brought up, um, I was never really academic. I was not the smartest kid at school. I was fairly, what's the opposite of academic? Unacademic. We'll use that term Um, because we've got young people here. So I was very unacademic and... I, I, well, that's not true. I was, I was, I was kind of, in, I was intelligent, but I, I kind of lost it around grade seven when we moved around everywhere. Probably a better way to say it. I did have a brain, but from around grade seven onwards and into high school, when I would go to a, a new town and try to meet people or whatever, the thing that would get me in with groups was my sporting ability. Now, who's ever been in this situation? They're picking a game, uh, a team of, of or touch football or basketball or whatever it is, and you're in the playground and you got, you got twenty kids. Okay, who's the captain? I'm going to be a captain. I want to be a captain. Okay, so one captain comes over here. The other captain stands over here. And we look at the other 18 kids. Okay, who's going first? I'm going first. No, I'm going, no, I'm going first. Okay, well, heads and tails. Yeah, okay, I'm going first. I want him. And you always pick the gun, don't you? Always you pick the best player. And then this guy goes, right, well, I'm picking the second best. And then I'm picking the third best. And I'm picking the fourth best. And usually what happened when you got down to about six kids left, this guy would go, I'll have him and you can have the other five. Yeah? You can have the other five. That was their way of saying these other five are useless, worthless, this one kid's better than all five of them together, you can have them. And we were judged on performance. And because I was good at sport, I was usually one of the first ones picked. When I would go to a town and there would be a lunchtime sporting thing and I'd just sort of started in that place, I would be the last. I'd be one of the five at the end because nobody knew me. After having a game... All of a sudden, you're the first one picked. Oh, no, I want him. Why was I being accepted? Why was I being picked? Why was I being selected? had nothing to do with me. They didn't even know me. I was being picked, selected based on my performance. I was good at doing that, so they selected me based on my performance. Well, it didn't take long for me to realise that's the way I'm going to get ahead in the world. I'll just keep myself in a sporting environment, keep myself around sports people, and I'll always be accepted. I'll find great acceptance in that environment. Why? Because I'm good at it. But what happens when all of a sudden you're not good at that? What happens when all of a sudden you haven't got that significant thing to contribute? Well, you're no longer accepted anymore, are you? I was never accepted in that group because of who I was. I was accepted because of what I could do. And many of us have been brought up with that kind of a life. 
where we get accepted. We, we go to school and we are accepted when we do good. Oh, little Johnny's done fantastic. 15, yes, get him. Ah, oh, wonderful. But when we don't perform well, we get a report card with a F or something on it and that communicates something to us. You know? We don't get the pat on the back from mum and dad, even though we tried hard, but we didn't perform well. We apply for university and only the best get accepted and if you're not smart enough, you don't get accepted. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not... I'm not having to go against striving and being your best and, 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 and achieving the best we can, but what I am saying is the culture we live in uh, creates this uh, performance-based acceptance. Everything is about performance. How good you are gets you in places. If you're not good, it keeps you out. It doesn't work like that in the kingdom of God. There is nothing you can be good at that will get you into the kingdom of God. And there's nothing you can be bad at that will keep you out and shut the door to you. Because it's all about the cross. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God looking down from heaven and going, you know, you know what the whole Old Testament is about? You read the whole Old Testament. There's a theme in the whole Old Testament. The Old Testament is God's way of showing humanity you can't do it. I'm going to give you all these rules and regulations and you're going to fail. And I'm going to give you this next set and you're going to fail. And every year I'm going to make you come back here and do a sacrifice just to remind you that you failed for the last 364 days. And you're going to walk home and you're going to fail for the next 364. I'm going to get you to come back again the next year. We'll do another set. And every time they sacrifice, I failed, I failed, I failed, I failed, I failed. Try again, I failed. Try again, I failed. The whole Old Testament is trying to get humanity and mankind to a point where they realise we can't do this. And then if that's not bad enough, along comes Jesus. Well, you've heard it said that adultery is a sin. If you even look upon the opposite sex with a weird thought, you might as well have done the act. What? Dude, the bar's high enough as it is. And Jesus goes, it's not high enough yet. I'm going to pull it up even higher. You've heard it said that if you murder someone, it's a sin. Guess what? If you even hate someone, you're guilty of murder. What? You're kidding, Jesus. It was impossible enough before. And now you're picking the bar up here. This is impossible. You're doing my head in, mate. And then don't even worry about going to the book of James where James says, if you break one of the commandments, you're guilty of breaking them all. What? This is hopeless. What hope have I got? I have no chance. I am an adulterous, lying murderer in the eyes of God. Yes, I am. Yes, you are. But guess what? God didn't leave us in that place. He didn't leave us in that place. And that's what the death of Jesus is all about. One final sacrifice. The Old Testament, the Bible says that the blood of lambs and and sheep and so on, it says it would cover sin. It never says it took it away. It says it covered sin. It just covered it. But the New Testament gives us this picture of the blood of Jesus. It takes away sin, removes sin, takes it away. The issue, the sin nature within inside of us. It says in Ezekiel that when we come to Christ, Ezekiel says it, I'll take out your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll take out your dead spirit. I'll give you a live spirit and then I'll place my spirit in you and I will cause you 
to walk in my ways. You won't be striving to walk in my ways because you know that when you walk this way, it's acceptable and I will love you. And I'm... It's not about that. It says you're not going to have to try to strive. I'm going to do a work in your heart whereby you'll start to, you'll cause to walk in it. You'll start to naturally do those things that are right. Why? Because you know the love and the acceptance and the grace you have from God and that will motivate you to change because love motivates change more than Lord does. Legalism has never changed a single human being, but love will change a nation. I don't know if I've shared this with you guys, but I haven't always been a classy dresser. I used to be quite daggy. It's true. I, I, please, I, maybe, mate, based on that, maybe you don't accept me anymore. Maybe my performance standards, are, but I'm just being honest with you. I've not always been a classy dresser. One day when I first started dating my wife, I lived in a little caravan on a property. And I came home one day, I'd been out, um, and I walked in the caravan door, and on the bed was a pair of black, really nice pants, and this nice blue sort of flowery shirt. And being the cluey sort of man I am, I looked at that and thought, I wonder if she's trying to say something to me. I wonder. So I grabbed that shirt and I put it on, I was taking her out that night, and I put on the pants and I rock up to a door and I knock on the door, and there I am, dressed to the nines, looking classy. I've even got photos of myself just to take me back to that moment. But you know what? I wore that stuff not because I thought, if I wear these clothes, it's going to make my wife love me. What have I got to do to get Jackie to love me? If I, maybe I've got to stop doing this and start, to, let me tell you something, if you've got to stop doing something and start doing something to get love that way, guess what, that kind of love will frustrate you because in the end, unless it's an internal change, you're going to get to a point where you go, I can't do this anymore and you're going to walk away. And people that think they've got to perform for God, people that think they've got to live a certain way, a certain great lifestyle, they've got to look a certain part to get the love and the mercy and the grace of God, and they work on that basis in their relationship, they're the people that a year, two years, five years, ten years, twenty years, wake up one day and go, this is too hard, I can't do it anymore. When all along, there was a man, there was a father, who didn't care about your performance. You know what the problem was? You cared about it. You're too focused on it. You're too focused on it. Because we've got a wrong concept of the Father, a wrong concept of God. When I put on those clothes, and I walked, walked up to that door, I put on those clothes out of a love response to the fact that I knew my wife already loved me. It's one thing to change yourself to get love. It's another thing to accept you have love and allow that change to take place. And that's the gospel message that we have. Jesus Christ died on a cross 2,000 years ago for us, gave his life for us so that we would stop striving, stop trying to get right with God in our own merits, stop being like these two sons, thinking on my good days, God loves me and he's all over me, and on my bad days, God doesn't love me anymore and he hates me and he's turned his back on me. That kind of a relationship with God will have you like a reed of the sea tossed back and forth with every wind of doctrine, with every kind of thought pattern. It's not a performance-based relationship that we have. It's got to be a grace-based relationship. Anything outside of grace is not the gospel. And I don't care what it is that you are hearing. I don't care if someone's preaching on forgiveness, if they're preaching on the Holy Spirit, if they're preaching on finances, if they're preaching on uh, 
conviction. If the, I don't care what the topic is. If you are ever hearing any preaching that doesn't come from a basis of grace, it is not the gospel. It's got too much of me in it. Because the gospel is 100% grace, full stop, nothing more to add. I can't add to my salvation. I can't take away from my salvation. My salvation was taken care of by Christ 2,000 years ago. I only have one part to play in it, that is to accept it or reject it. I just accept it or I reject it. And the minute I start to think, yeah, well, God loves me, but, you know, surely, but it's a bit of, you know, I've got to be doing a little bit. Well, guess what? You have fallen from grace. Read the book of Galatians. And the Bible uses that term, and Paul writes about people who have fallen from grace. He's talking about people that have accepted the grace of God but have started to mix requirements in with it. It's, it's, it's God plus. It's not God plus anything. It's God. It's Jesus. These two sons were too focused on themselves. One thought he was good, one thought he was bad. But they're too focused on themselves. They should have been focused on God. They should have been focused on the Father. They saw themselves as slaves. When you have that mentality, you view yourself as a slave. We're sons. That's what the Father said to them. I'm going to restore everything because you're, you're my son. Your actions haven't taken away your sonship. You're coming to me saying, no, 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 I've done the wrong thing. What would you do with a slave who'd done the wrong thing? Well, treat him this way. I'm no longer worthy. We're not slaves. Although you will be a slave to God if you don't get this issue right. If you don't understand the grace of God, if you don't understand your sonship, then your service to God will be more as a slave than a servant. Paul said, I'm a bond servant of Christ. Nothing wrong with serving Christ, but when it comes out of a place of an understanding of grace, it's a love response to the God that loves me. Not a performance-based response to get God to love me. And they're two very, very different things. I reckon that's enough for today. Um, I'm not going to play the piano or guitar. I do want to challenge us in this. Way back in Genesis, there's this principle, right back at the start. And when God created things, he put life in the seed. And he said that, that, that everything that has a seed in it will reproduce after its own kind. Apples produce apples. Oranges, correct me if I'm wrong here, Rob. Oranges produce oranges. Walnuts, I hope they do, I don't know, it's just another nut that came to my mind. Religious nuts, <laughs> legalistic believers, Christians who don't understand grace, Christians who don't accept grace, Christians who have a Jesus plus mentality, Christians who live in a legalistic world, they reproduce that after their own kind. They reproduce after their own kind. My prayer for us as a church, as individuals, is that we understand the grace of God. That we're humble enough to know that we have not, we're not the reason that we're going to heaven. We're not the reason that favour and everything, God, it's, 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 it's grace from heaven. And because that grace is able to move upon my life, because that grace is able to invade yours, that grace can invade anybody's. I don't care what colour you are. I don't care what you smell like on a Sunday morning. I don't care what you were drinking the night before. I don't care what you were smoking before you walked in the door. 
I don't care what you're going to walk out of here right now and do with the rest of your day. I just want you to know that the grace of God is there for you. And you are saved by grace through faith. Amen. Amen. Well, Father, we want to thank you, uh, Lord, for that truth, God. I want to thank you this morning, God, that it's all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. Now, Father, I pray for each of us, Holy Spirit, just speak into our hearts. Holy Ghost, open up the eyes of our understanding to understand the grace of God, to understand the grace of the Father to us, to understand that whether we feel like we relate to the good son or whether we feel like we relate to the other son, both sons are irrelevant in the light of the heart of a father. So I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, touch us. Do a work in our hearts so that we never forget what your heart is towards us, God, that we never forget that we stand in a place of grace, not a place of our own works and performance, God. Father, I pray as we go into this next week, Lord, that we would be able to take uh, something of your word, something of your presence, something of your life. And Lord, give us opportunities to share that unconditional grace and love with those around us, Father, particularly those who may not have experienced it yet as we have, Father. Lord, bless us as we travel home. Give us a great week at work. And... um, Father, we look forward to, to, uh, to encountering you throughout our, our week as well, Father, in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. 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 Well, when we get worship leaders, we'll have some nice guitar in the background there and we can have coffee to some nice guitar music, but until then...